kind of have a little bit of a Christmas flavor, but we're not quite into Christmas yet. Uh, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about the season of love, and I, I feel like the Lord's got a, um, a, a word on my heart for you today, and I'm looking forward to it. So if you'll stand, uh, we're going to kind of take a little, uh, like I said, not totally Christmassy, but kind of that wrapped around that whole season of love and uh, kind of a radical approach and kind of hopefully our perspective as far as who we are as a church, because uh, it, you know that uh, the church and, and Jesus Christ is really the central focal point or should be the focal point of our Christmas season. Now, I know that uh, there's an all-out attack every year on Christmas and what business is not going to use the word Christmas because it's not politically correct. But you know what? The church has already been through so much, through persecution, like uh, you've never seen... uh, uh, like we've never known of with, with martyrs that have gone by and the, the disciples and the apostles, that they all went through persecution and Christians of that day. And we also hear stories in other countries of, of Christians going through persecution and all that sort of thing. But guess what? The truth of God still lives on. The story of Jesus still lives on no matter what. So even though people get in a frenzy about like what, what business and what people are kind of stripping the name of Christmas off, I ain't scared I know that wasn't proper English, but I'm not scared because Jesus Christ still reigns today. So if you'll, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Very familiar scriptures uh, that I'm sure you'll know, and it's also going to be on the screen for you. Now, uh, Joshua's talking here, and, uh, and he's kind of taken charge of, of uh, uh, where Moses uh, left off. He's taken charge. And Joshua is saying this. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in, the, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say amen? You may be seated. The mantra of the American dream is to advance yourself. With hard work, ingenuity, innovation, you can have it all. reality of the gospel. Jesus does call us to give up everything we have. And he may tell any one of us to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. But we don't believe this. If we form Jesus to look like us and be who we want him to be, then even when we gather together and sing our praises and lift our hands, the reality is we are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. We are worshiping and singing to ourselves. We have a master who demands radical obedience. A mission that warrants radical urgency. And we do not have time to waste our lives living out a Christian spin on the American dream. The most glorious reason you exist is for the proclamation of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And it's more than having a nice life. It's about giving our lives and our families and our jobs for the proclamation of the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. If we're going to live for the sake of 4.5 million lost people and thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are dying every day because they don't have food on their table, then that means radical change in our lives and our families. Sure. Church, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. We're plan A, right? There is no plan B. And uh, so I, I want to, uh, every time I see this video, I just, I just feel like the most selfish person on the planet. Because <laughs> uh, obviously there's things that I want, there's things that I want to pursue, uh, there's goals that I want to attain, and, uh, and I believe I'm in a room full of people who have those goals. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily want you to think that those things are bad, uh, because I think we should have goals, we should... Uh, strive to better ourselves, uh, to, uh, to better our lives, to better our lives for our children's sake and all that kind of stuff in the, that pursuit. Uh, but I, 
I'm afraid that because of our American Western culture and who we are, now I'm proud to be an American, and I'm thankful for the price that was paid for our freedom, but I think sometimes we get spoiled, amen? I, I would consider, when we really take a hard look at us compared to the rest of the world, we are spoiled rotten. Even our poorest in our nation are spoiled by comparison. And, uh, and so in the season that we just come out of, of, of thanksgiving, I am thankful for what God has given and blessed me with. I'm a blessed man. Pastor John puts it so clearly uh, uh, most, uh, most every Sunday I hear him that he is a rich man. I'm a rich man. I am blessed beyond. I, I'm, I'm the richest man that I know. I'm blessed with a beautiful, wonderful wife. And, uh, and I think I, I said one time uh, when I spoke last time that, guys, if you want a beautiful wife, get the anointing, because it doesn't matter how old, ugly you are. If, as long as you have the anointing, God's going to give you a hot wife. And then I've got beautiful children. I mean, I, I, mean I, I do not know how I wound up with the most beautiful children on the planet, but even you all out there, if you've seen my children, have to admit that I've got some beautiful kids. And, uh, and so how that happened, yes, my mom's out there going, ooh, 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 yep. And so I have some beautiful children, but I'm richly blessed. If we're not careful, we can get so focused on getting and wanting more and more that we forget the reason for this season and really the reason that we should have for every season, not just Christmas. It seems like Christmas is when everybody, season of love, the, uh, you know, when we focus on Jesus and the gift that he gave us, and, and it's like the rest of the year we kind of just leave it aside. Uh, we don't really focus as much and, unless we come to church and then it's like, oh, we hear pastor sermons like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I was supposed to put him first this week. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. So, uh, so if you feel like your toes are being stepped on, I'm stepping on my own toes. But I want to, um, I felt like the Lord put on my heart, and this is a message that, that I've, I've kind of preached a, a similar message um, in the past. And so I kind of want us to, to kind of let's change the way we think about church because uh, Church during this time of year is really uh, has the focal message, the good news message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, uh, he came and he, he lived and showed us how to live life, uh, you know, in a nutshell, he, he died on the cross, he took, our, uh, he took our, our, our punishment upon his back and his body with being whipped, and he, uh, by his stripes we were healed, and then he, he, he was crucified on the cross, and he died a horrible death, and then he rose again on the third day. And because of that, we have freedom in, in him. We have life because of him, and life more abundantly, and I'm thankful for that. And so, and so, and so what I, when we get to this season, it seems like we focus more on it than we should. And so I want to encourage you that as we get to the gift buying and everything, that we really take a radical look and a radical and decide to do a radical change in the way we approach and um, as the way we approach it. So I kind of want to just change the way we think about church for a moment. Uh, and maybe you would agree with this. Our current church cultural mindset, I think there's a, there's a cultural mindset uh, that we're kind of stuck in in a lot of ways. And if we're not careful, we get caught in, into this kind of cycle, and, and uh, see if this doesn't kind of ring a bell with you, uh, that our current church cultural mindset is this, say the sinner's prayer, so basically you're making a decision or a mental assent, uh, be good, attend church regularly, pay your tithes, oh yeah, dress nice too so you look like a Christian. All ministry in the church is done by professionals, with the bulk of the people just making up the numbers, spectators kind of watching professionals perform. And then we put a Christian spin on the American dream, and we have what we call church. Would anybody kind of agree that that's kind of, if you're not careful to be disciplined to not think that way, we think we, we've actually demoted our Christian walk to checking church off our list. If I go to church, and I've said the sinner's prayer, start dressing nicer like everybody else is dressed in church, and I make sure that I pay my tithes, got to pay my dues, right? We check that off the list, sing the songs, say amen to pastor's sermon, and we do all those things that I have done my Christian duty for the week, and I'm good, right? And so I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we kind of get into that kind of cultural mindset of church and, and really missing out on the beauty of what God has for us. 
And then we kind of put the spin on the American dream, you know, the whole prosperity, you know, and God will prosper us. As, we, as, his, as his spirit prospers within us, we will prosper from that. And I believe that we ought to be the most blessed people on the planet. I'm definitely not arguing that point, but I think if we're not careful, we get so focused on the wrong things, and then when it comes to our day-to-day walk with the Lord, we make sure that we check God off our list. We have the Bible on our table collecting dust, and it's set in the right perfect position, and everything's good, and God's proud of us, right? So let me kind of, this is is kind of one of my soapboxes here uh, for just a moment. And, and I kind of want to make a statement that could cause you to think I'm preaching, might, might be stepping over in heresy a little bit. So if you'll, I'm going to say the statement, and if you can kind of, kind of let me kind of think through the thoughts before you start throwing your tomatoes, I want you to listen to me. But here's what I believe firmly in my heart, that you and I were never meant to go to church. And it got real quiet. <laughs> and nobody's laughing either. Okay. Um, you and I were never meant to go to church. Now, I'm going to let that drop for just a moment, and I'll come back to that, and I think you'll kind of understand what I'm talking about. Here's what I believe our purpose for church is, because Jesus said it with his own mouth. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, Jesus goes on to say, and it should be coming up on the screen, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus replied, and always when Jesus replied, it was kind of like, look out, he's going to shake some people up. Jesus replied with this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of interesting that God gave two things. Love the Lord your God with everything that's within you, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus made a very profound statement. He said, all, how many know the Greek meaning of the word all? It's all. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, when you really think about what Jesus said there, all of the law hangs on those two commandments. And I believe when you really think about it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, everything that's within you, you kind of have that, I know it's kind of cliche, we kind of got the vertical situation taken care of, where you are, uh, you're seeking the heart of God, and you're in love with Jesus. And when you're in love with him, the things Guys, when you fell in love with your wife and you got married, and then she started wanting you to adjust certain things, like maybe pick up your dirty underwear off the floor and actually put it in the dirty clothes, or maybe even help out, oh, with the laundry. Maybe even help out with the dishes, and God forbid, change that baby's diaper. If you truly love her, you start adjusting your behavior to help out right? Or you sleep outside in the doghouse, right? I'm just kidding. But there, you find that when you get married, and, and how many know that this is true, that you find there are little things that you wind up, you kind of prefer this way, but you realize that your spouse prefers this way, so you kind of start adjusting some of those behaviors So be, just because you love. Some of the things like you want to be able to give, some of the things after a long, drawn-out fight, you decide to finally adjust, right? Anybody with me? Man, y'all lying. I guess I'm the only one that's like that. But if you truly love someone, you start adjusting your behavior. So if you're in love with Jesus, then all the law stuff, God begins to write his laws upon our heart. And so we begin to line ourselves up with how we should live according to the law of God, because his laws are now in our heart, because we find that, oh, his word says that I should do this and not this. So I adjust because I love him, not because I'm scared he's going to stomp me out and send me to hell, right? Out of a heart of love, we begin to adjust our behavior. And so the second commandment is that love one another, love each other, 
And, 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 then, and, and so when we love each other, we got our love for Jesus and love for others, everything begins to line in place because it's motivated from a heart of love. And so I believe that's why Jesus, from his own mouth, said all of the law, all the re- rules and regulations hang on those two principles. Because if you got those two taken care of, it, isn't it cool how Jesus just simplified things for us? If, if you can just get those two down, everything else is going to take care of itself. So when he gave us a commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with everything that's within you and love your neighbor as yourself. Very profound. So two things, love God, love people. Also in Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, uh, very familiar scripture as well. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And all the Pentecostals said amen. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, the, the disciples, their focus was on the wrong thing. It's like, well, you know, you're going to restore the kingdom. Are you going to make us kings and queens in your service? Are you going to set us up and rule? We're going to annihilate the world, and you're going to set us up to rule. They're, they're always, you know, what's the signs of the time? What are the signs? You know, when, when are you coming back? Or when's this going to take place? When, when are we finally going to be out of the oppression? There's constantly worried about that. And what does Jesus come back and say, say with? He said to them, it is not for you to know the, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At home, your city and town, your your surrounding area, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So I kind of come back to what I was saying. You were never meant to go to church. You were never meant to merely demote your relationship to your church attendance to check it off the list. You were meant, here it is, to be the church. How can you go to something that you are supposed to be? It's not about a destination, it's about existence. It's about who you are. And, and it's even said that, uh, that, that God, uh, in his word, that God does not desire to dwell within a temple made with hands made of brick and of mortar. And Paul came and he told us, he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God desires to dwell. You are the church. The church is the bride of Christ. God doesn't want to marry a building. God wants to be married and close to you. You are his temple. You are his indwelling. And so, and so I'm hoping that, that I challenge you this morning to realize that it's not about going to church. Now, we're also instructed that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because some of you probably thought about that scripture first. Like, wait a minute, you know. You're never meant to go to church, but we, we are encouraged to come together. And that's why we come together on Sunday mornings. That's why we come together at some of our different events that we have and, and Echo Youth Ministry 365 Live for the kids and all these things. That's why we come together to worship together because there's encouragement there. There's lifting up. And, and there's nothing like, I mean, I can worship by myself, but there's nothing like worshiping with a group of people, a room full of people lifting up their voices. That's why sometimes I like to just kind of cut the music real soft or whatever and just hear the voices lifting up in praise. There's encouragement in that. There's power in that. Somebody shouts and somebody else wants to take off and run because of the power and the anointing and the presence of God that we feel in a place. So that's why Paul said, don't forsake that assembling of yourselves together. You know, somebody wrote the song, uh, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. Um, I, that's not biblical. You're supposed to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but we are not supposed to kind of be islands under ourselves. We are supposed to mingle with the body of Christ, but we're not meant to go or attend something that we're supposed to be. We're meant, we were meant to be the church, be the bride of Christ. Amen. So here's, a church, here's the church culture biblical model, I believe. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you till the end. So his spirit and power and presence is going to be with us. But the church cultural mindset that we should have is to go and make disciples. 
to go to all nations. But you know what happens with this? This denotes or this indicates actual involvement in people's lives. And that can be very messy. You see, church is our as we assemble together and everything, church is not supposed to be pretty. It's not supposed to be just all polished and everybody all dressed up nice and we got everything perfect and, you know, the world can tell that we're different because we dressed up all nice and sang the songs just right and raised our hand at the right part of the song, said amen at the right part of the sermon. You see, when we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, that means we're supposed to actually get down to the nitty-gritty and get involved in people's lives. And like I said, that can be a very messy thing because not everybody's life is together. I've heard people say throughout the years in ministry of like, I'm just looking for the perfect church. Well, if you find the perfect church, better take you a stick of dynamite with you and immediately blow that thing up and send everybody to heaven because in about 15 seconds flat, imperfection is going to take place because somebody's going to walk in with an attitude. (laughs) Somebody's not going to be happy. Somebody got drugged to church and they didn't want to come to church. And in in starting a church, uh, uh, my wife and I, we pioneered a church one time and and we we kind of, we merged with the, uh, we we wound up Taking, taking over another ministry and, and, and melding that into the ministry that God had called us to. And, and so uh, some of the comments that were being made as some of the transitions and changes were take, that were taking place, uh, some, some of the people were like, well, because, you know, it, you can't argue with the fact that, hey, we're going to reach the lost. We want to reach people. We want people to know the love of God. So we want to get out there. We want people to come in and know that they're part of the family of God and that they, they are loved by God and that he, he desires to change their life and set their life on the right track. And so one of the comments was made is like, yeah, we want people to come if they're here for the right reasons. And so I began to think about that. And I was like, well, what is the right reason to come to church? Because there's many different people that come in here in this room that come for different reasons. Now, I, I guess obviously the right reason would be to come. We're coming to worship the Lord, and we're, we're, uh, we're an audience of many singing for an audience of one. You've probably heard those statements before. And we're, we're here to worship God. We're here to, to join together and fellowship with the family of God, to hear an encouraging word that will hopefully challenge us and, and to go out into the community. Maybe that's the right reason to come to church. But you see, you're dealing with people, and, and it, it ain't perfect. Sorry, teachers, I botched up English just for a moment. But it ain't perfect, right? Because you got people that are here that woke up this morning, didn't know if they were going to make it through the day, coming, and they need, they need a word of hope because they're thinking of ending it. They're thinking of doing something drastically drastic and, and devastating to their life because they're about to give up. You've got people who are are here, they don't even know how they got in the door, but somehow they wound up on the back seat. I'm not looking at anybody on the back seat right now, because I don't know. But somehow they wound up in this room sitting down, and they don't know how they got here. I've, had, I've, had, I've personally came across people that, like, they, they came in and sat down. I was like, I don't even know how I got in here. The Holy Spirit just led them. They, were in what, they, they may have been drunk or high on drugs, or who knows what happened, but they wound up here. Then you've got some people to hear because that cute girl goes there. And I've been trying to get her out on a date, and she said, if I don't come, I better come to church. If I don't come to church, there ain't no hope, right? You got people, you got young people, you got other people who've been drugged to church. Uh, My wife or my husband's been bugging me about going to church with him. I don't want to come to church. Or that family member's been bugging me. You know, you got people here for different reasons, right or wrong. So church is a messy thing. And we are called to go and make disciples. We are called to get involved in those lives and to see hope and love come into those people's lives. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So church is not supposed to be all pretty and everything. It's supposed to be messy because Jesus has the cleansing power to clean it all up. And so sometimes you just need to be, you know, when people get to the place where they're just ready to vomit life out on the table, and I know that's kind of a gross analogy, but 
You know, they're just, kind of, they're just kind of throwing up everything that's happening in their life. When they get to that point, the Holy Spirit's cleansing them, and you're there. You're there to, to uh, well, my children would get sick, and, you know, and that would happen. And I, as a loving parent, was willing to get my hands dirty to clean my child up. I was there with the cold rag to rub their face, to comfort them, ask them if they felt better. Ask them if, if there was anything I need. You need a drink of water. You can come sleep with me. You can come lay in the bed with me tonight. So you can be by dad or you can be by, mo- by mommy, right? We're there. And, we, and so when that begins to happen in people's lives, they got to have somebody there. they got to have a, a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a grandpa or grandma, someone who's adopted them into their family to love them and say, hey, I'm there for you. I'm getting involved in your life. And it's a beautiful thing. We were meant to be the church I'm going to try to go through here quickly just for a few more minutes. I believe there are a few roadblocks to this in our lives because few, I fear that there's a lot of us out there that, that lack a little bit of confidence. There's a term I like to, I, I like to use when, I, when I'm talking about this. It's called uh, Christians that are scared stupid. And what I mean by that? There's, there's two analogies uh, that, uh, that over the years of listening to sermons and, and, uh, and being uh, and, and influ- uh, influential pastors in my life, uh, there's, there's a, a couple of analogies that come. And if you look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, I would say that the Old Testament has more of the approach of defensive. And if you look at the law, the law talks about stay away from this, stay away from that. If you touch that unclean thing, you've got to go through this rigorous cleansing process to make sure that you're cleansed. If you touch a dead thing, if you touch a, a leper, if you touch this or that, or, you know, you don't. And basically, you're on the defense of the whole time when you look at the Old Testament concept of religious behavior, spirituality. Basically, you better stay away. Stay away from that. Don't come over here. It's unclean. Unclean, right? And so you're constantly on the defensive. But if you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is almost the opposite because you find Jesus where you weren't supposed to t- touch the leper. He's touching the leper. When you weren't supposed to hang out with the sinners and those that lived a wicked life, he's eating with them. He's sitting down and having dinner with them. And so you find where the Old Testament is defensive, it's almost like the New Testament is offensive. Because here's the concept and the mindset that Jesus wants us to have, which is why he sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He's like, instead of staying away from the leper, if I touch the leper, the leper will be cleansed. If I have fellowship, not that I'm trying to become them or hang out with sinners and, 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 be, and, and hang out and do the things they do, but I'm there, and because of the power that lives within me and the Holy Spirit that lives within me, they start questioning and asking, why are you so happy? I'm trying to find happiness in a bottle or in a needle or in, in a woman or in a man or in a relationship or this or that. I'm trying to find happiness in these things, but you seem to have life together. What is your deal? And so you find that as you begin to, you're on the offensive and, and realize, and, you know, and not letting fear take control because fear has torment. If I touch that, I'm going to get messed up. If I go hang out with that person, they're going to make me bad. And then God's not going to be happy with me. But if we are on the offensive and realize and we really invoke and, and really take on the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us, and we get on the offensive, then the leper's going to be cleansed. The, the person with cancer is going to be healed. The, uh, the person who is living a wicked life and living like wild child and, and doing all these wicked things, that person's life is going to be changed because of the Jesus that's in me. And so instead, so I would encourage you as, as we kind of look at this season of love and this season and, and really take time because this is a season where we choose to be selfless and we're, we're wanting to be more givers, which is something we should have all year long. Really take note that instead of living in fear, that I take the offensive because if Jesus lives within me, they are going to change. The attitude and the atmosphere around me is going to change because of the light that lives within me. Amen? That's why Jesus said, when he talked about the Old Testament, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. In him is the fulfillment. There's another, another 
area here where there's no confidence or doubt of your ability. You've probably heard this a million times preached by ever how many sermons you've listened. At some point in time, you've probably heard someone say that God has given you the ability to do his work. God has given you a special talent. God's given you a special ability. And yet, when we look at somebody who's a great communicator, I, I consider Pastor John one of, one of my favorite communicators, not, not just because I'm on staff and I'm, he's paying me to pump him up, but he truly is one of my favorite communicators because he's, in fact, a communicator. You see someone like that, and you're like, wow, if I could speak like that, I could really make a difference. Or you see, we are blessed with, with singers, we're blessed with musicians. If I could play drums or if I could play bass or if I could sing like she does or sing like he does, then I could really make a difference and impact in the kingdom of God. And how many times any of us have battled that? And I would, I would dare say that every one of these people on stage have said, if I had such and such, I could really make an impact on the kingdom of God. And you would say, why would you ever think of that? Look at your talent. But the same thing goes for you. Why would you ever think of that? Look at your talent. And ability. But we have this doubt that anything's going to happen. We're scared stupid, first of all, and then we have this doubt of our ability. And we have no confidence. I want you to watch this video and see if this speaks to you. Off the team, whatever, you know, there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead, the only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra, and then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay, that was nuts, I don't, I don't want to live like that, let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible. 
You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 through 30, we have the story of the talents. How many are familiar with the story of the talents? Where one, to one was given five, to one was given, um, oh wait a minute, no, to one was given ten, one was given five, and one was given one. No, five, two, and one, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, wait, 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 my stories are getting crossed, and you know how you do that, but my tongue gets caught in my eye tooth, and I can't see what I'm saying. So anyway, one was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. And we know the one that had five, he went and invested that and doubled the income. Uh, the other one with two, he doubled uh, that as well, invested it, and uh, took the risk. And they went out there and risked it. The one with the one was like, I know my master, and if I lose this, I'm in big trouble. So he went and buried it so he wouldn't lose it. And then so, and sort of like with this video, when the master came back and he said, well done, good and faithful servant to the one who had five and doubled it, you know, entered into the joys of my kingdom. You were faithful with little. Now I'm going to make you ruler of many things. Uh, the one with two, same thing. And then he comes down to the one with the one and is like, hey, I know you're a shrewd businessman and I know, you know, that, that you, you know, you, 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 all these things that, that are, you're blessed with and I was scared, didn't want to lose it. So here's yours. You know, it's like, ta-da, I kept it. And what does he do? He throws that servant out, you wicked servant, you know, torment for you, right? <clears throat> I went and did a little digging on the talent. You see, you see, if you're not careful, you'll look at different people with different talents. You say, this person has many talents, and that person has a few talents, and I only have this one thing. I don't even know what I have. And if you, let me give you a little clue. Hidden within your abilities is clues to your purpose in life. If there's something that you are good at, that God has made you good at, it gives you a clue as to what your purpose, and it may not be totally clear in the beginning, and some people figure that out at a younger age, some people figure that, that out at an older age. But hidden within your talents and abilities are clues to what God has purposed you for. And I did a little digging, it's like, and so I want you to know that when you read that story, do you realize that you have been given at least one talent and you are worth a lot. Here's what a talent was worth. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for the laborer. One talent was equal to 20 years wages. So he wasn't given just one little coin. See, when I was growing up in Sunday school, I thought one got five coins, one got two coins, and one got one coin. No. The, the boss man gave them 20 years wages with each talent that was given. So if you've been given one, now I know you're doing the math, but if you've been given one talent, God's given you at least the value of 20 years wages. He's given you something that if you invest, and because I know the mathematics of the Holy Spirit, if that guy with the one talent had invested like he should, and taken the risk, and stepped out in faith, believing, I may not be smart at all this, but I know God will bless, because God will bless. He promises that if we step out in faith, he's going to be there to support us, to take us. And because I know how God does math, I, I would be willing to bet if that one guy with that one talent had invested, he would have overtaken the other two guys who had been given more. But God likes to take the very least of things and exalt them up. The one who didn't think he was going to make it, the, the one that you didn't think was going to turn out, and next thing you know, they're the ones who are winning the most people to Jesus. They're the ones that are doing the biggest things for God. So you've been give, if you've been given one talent, and you have, because God created you and he knew you even before you were formed in your mother's womb. That's biblical. He knew, knew who you are. So if you've just got one, you may not have the talent of people that you see on stage or even people that you know in life who are smart with this or good at that. God has blessed you with something. And if you'll just take the risk, not allow yourself to be scared stupid, but be on the de offensive and not the defensive and not doubt your ability, God is going to bless because you're not meant to be me. You're not meant to be Pastor John. You're not meant to be Pastor Drew. You're not meant to be your brother or your sister, your father, your mother. Some of you are probably thinking, thank God. Because if you have a crazy family, you're like, oh, you're meant to be you. 
And with all your unique quirks and weirdness, God blessed you with a uniqueness that is going to change people's lives if you're willing to take the risk. Step out in faith. Some of us have apathy, no love or concern, lacking enthusiasm for things in general. Matthew chapter 24 verse 12 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most or the love of many will grow cold. You know, when I look at the news and I see all the, the, the bad things that are going on, uh, you know, uh, you, you hear some people talk and, and the country's going to hell in a handbasket, you hear that happening, and you, you see all that, it makes you want to give up. If you have a steady diet of bad news, it just makes you grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. So maybe there's apathy that you might be dealing with, no love or concern. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all, my possess, uh, all that I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So we allow our our love to wax cold. We're going to freeze up. It's like the person who never gets off the couch and is always watching TV and never exercises and all that. Their joints freeze up. That's exactly what happens to you spiritually is you freeze up and you you can't move anymore because of the wickedness. We allow our concern and our compassion to grow cold. I hope that none of us are there. My last video, I want to show you this story. When I saw this story, it was like, wow. <laughs> you know, it makes you want to cry. It's a story of Sherman, and I want you to watch this. And this is how, what kind of love we're supposed to have. Yeah, Sherman was the leader of my uh, 12-step men's group. Uh, met Sherman through Celebrate Recovery. The first recovery meeting that I attended here on a Friday night, he was, um, he was leading the group that I was in. And uh, I didn't want to be here. He was sitting directly across from me, and every time I looked up, he was just looking at me and smiling. And and I'm like, oh, great. Sherman is uh, loving, kind, generous. <laughs> he uh, doesn't get mad. Everything. He's he's calm, peaceful. You know, he was just so open. It was like. Wow, he cares, but he don't care, you know. I talk to him about anything, and I know he's not going to say nothing, or he ain't going to judge me. That's what I needed. That's, that's what I think people need in life. My first year of sobriety, he threw a party for me, you know what I mean? And uh, no one ever does that before in my whole life. To have somebody along the way that he cares for me, you know what I mean? That made me even feel, to keep me going on my recovery. Sherman is a uh, disciple of Jesus. I was actually with them when, when the accident happened. There was about 20 of us up camping. So I just remember here screaming, because it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere and there's no cell phone service. So these people were run, like driving through the streets, these dirt roads, screaming. And he just comes up and he says, do you have two people out riding at ATVs? And we said, yeah. And they said, he's like, one of them's hurt really bad. He said, follow me, I'll take you to where they are. And we were on, on a place where we really couldn't be easily seen from the road. And I was freaking out because he was just laying there and he couldn't do anything for himself and I couldn't do anything. And he's like, hang on, dude, I'll pray. So he was ministering to me. He was laying there on the ground. <laughs> you know, with all of his hurt and pain and injuries and he was ministering to me. was this uh, girl there, 25 years old, and um, has spinal cord injury too. And all of a sudden, he just gets so upset, just so upset. And I said, what's the matter? He's like, I feel so sorry for her. He goes, I just want to help her so so much. And I said, Truman, I said, hey, you're in the same position she is. He goes, I know, but my heart just goes out to her. I just think that that's what love's all about unconditional love and whatever just you know what I mean I, I think that we're supposed to be there for people and love them you know I just 
sympathetic, man, when, you know, with, with uh, problems and stuff, because we all have problems, you know? I'm absolutely amazed at the love that he has for Christ, knowing what he's gone through, and to see how much more he's growing, and he hasn't lost his faith. If anything, he's gained faith. Cool thing I learned about in my life is, uh, you know, I got a lot of problems and I'm not perfect, but God helps me with my problems that I have in my life. As long as I'm willing to step out of my selfishness and go help other people. Well, I've learned from Sherman and my walk and everything we've gone through this year is to trust in God. I mean, even in the bad things, to praise Him, to, to thank Him for whatever reason you're going through, whatever you're going through. You know, just know you'll get through it. And I know what it feels like to have pain. And I know what it feels like to have sorrow and hurt and depression and want to kill yourself. And so those aren't good things to feel. And so when you see people feel that way, I'm just there to help them. Because I've been helped. I know the way out. You know, I know the man that can help us. You know, we got to get God to help us, man. And I just try to get people on board with me, man. Like, hey, let's dial him up. Let's get it going. Let's get some help, bro. Because I'm messed up, too. I'm not perfect, but I'm thankful, man. I'm just really thankful for everything that God has done for me. And I still mess up, but I'm trying to learn, you know. <laughs> like they say here at Central, right? It's uh, okay to not be okay, but you just don't want to stay that way. I love that. It's okay to not be okay. You just don't want to stay that way. And when you have that perspective and you come across someone who is lost, who's hurting, and you just have that, that tenacity of like, you know, you're, you're not scared of what they're, what they're doing or what they've done. You just know what they can become in Christ. And you have that kind of love and tenacity. Everybody knows the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but it says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what, is, what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love uh, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God, trusts God, God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Love never fails. So in this season, I encourage you. And you see, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, we will serve the Lord are not always easy words. And for some, it actually costs them their lives. You've heard the many stories in other countries where even to this day, people are being killed for the name of Christ. But it's this distant concept because it's on the other side of the planet. It hasn't really touched us. But I encourage you to let the love of God just, just dig down deep in your heart and somehow let that that type of tenacity and love for God take hold of you so that you don't grow cold, you don't grow apathetic, you don't lose hope and, and doubt that you will ever be able to make any kind of impact or change in anyone's life. Start with you. Start with your family. Say, as for me, just like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And let that awaken in our hearts. We, we as Americans, we have it easy. But let's make the most of it this season and truly live our lives to love God and to love people to make a difference. In Isaiah 52, verse 7, my final scripture says, How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. And God reigns in this season. God reigns in your life. No trouble, no trial, no situation can overcome what God wants to do in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray with you. And yes, we could come and, and, and 
I could try to hype up an altar call and you to rush to the altar and, and uh, to make a change. Maybe you feel like you need that kind of change, and I encourage you, the altars are open for that. But I want to encourage you to make a decision and asking the Lord to not let you have the concept of just going to church and making sure I check off my Christian list to make sure I'm a good Christian believer. But you would actually be the church this season and every season. That you wouldn't let this time go by to where you won't be the love of Jesus to someone. And I felt like God wanted to challenge us in this, heart, uh, in this time in my heart. And this can be a very scary thing. But, I pray, uh, but I'm, I'm challenging you, and I'm going to challenge myself too, to pray every day. God, put me in a situation or circumstance where I can be a light and love to someone. Yes, I want to make sure I get my list done. I want to make sure that I, I, I get the gifts and my kids have a good Christmas and, or, or, or that I, I get the gifts from my family or I do this or I do that. Yes, get all that stuff done. But Lord, let me not forget to be allowed by your Holy Spirit to be put in a situation to where I make a difference in someone's life. And it doesn't mean you got to have a 90-pound Bible to slap up somebody's head when you realize that they're in sin. Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's just a simple, when, you, when, they, when they vomit life's issues in front of you, taking, their, taking them by the hand and praying with them, lifting them up, wrapping them in your arms and saying, I love you and so does Jesus. Giving just that simple ray of hope and just being led by the Holy Spirit because, you see, you don't even have to say words. In fact, there was a, a, minute, a preacher one time that says, you know, uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and be a witness. And use, use words if necessary. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Let your life so shine. Be the light of the world. So let's pray. And I just pray that you would take that challenge to heart. Lord Jesus, in the season of love, God, I pray that we would take a radical change, Lord. There is no plan B. We are plan A and that's it. God, you sent us to be light to the world. You said that we were the light of the world, the city that is set on the hill. God, we want to shine you. We want to shine you, Jesus, to, to people, Lord. We, we want to shine your love and, God, see people's lives change. So, Lord, I pray in this challenge, Lord, as we approach this season, God, about to walk out of November and into December 2014 and to celebrate the Christmas season, Lord, I pray that you would put each and every one of us in a situation Bring someone across our path. Take us to someone that needs hope, that needs life, that needs light in their life, that needs you, Lord. And I pray, God, that we'd be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you'd fill our mouth with the words, if words are even necessary. God, an expression of love, a hug, holding hands, praying with somebody, giving a gift, Lord. Maybe it's driving through <clears throat> Chick-fil-A or McDonald's and just feeling impressed to buy the person behind us the meal, and paying for their meal. Maybe it's being in the line of the grocery store and buying their groceries. Maybe it's preparing a meal and taking it to someone who can't get out, who's sick, or who's, who's, who's uh, older and, and who can't get out as, like they used to, God. Who knows what it is, but God, I pray that you would spark that interest, God, that we would take our talents and that we would invest because, God, you've given us so much. Even if you've given us one talent, God, you've given us so much ability to make an impact in our life. And Father, we'll give you praise and going on for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you give God a hand clap of praise for his word? Got one more thing for you.